I only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Smith is ready. Win waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Ho-ho. Doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Podcast. I'm, of course, your part-time host nowadays, Danny Ortiz, alongside with Eric LeBlou. And Eric, this every other week bit is uh, working out pretty well, because every time we come back, there's more and more to talk about. Yeah, it's just we had, we had to cut back. We were full-time. We had to cut back, because I can't afford to pay you health care. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, that's yeah. a visa sponsorship you're supposed to submit. Uh, the government says uh, I went to the consulate <laughs> office and uh, no paperwork has been submitted. Eric, when are you going to submit my visa sponsor? Yeah, due to low payroll, we we had to we had to make some cuts. So we're to every other week now yes. for sure. But yeah, it's working out. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of unfortunate stuff. I think today we're going to crown a new Padres manager going into next year. <laughs> uh, we have a lot to get going. We also have John Conniff from Madfires. He's going to be joining us from Monterey, Mexico. Yeah, live later. from over the wall is John Conniff. Yeah, I think he's going to be. I think he's scouting some young men down there in the uh, <laughs> down in Mexico. But yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, where where are we getting started off today? Let's start with uh, probably the most heartbreaking news. Fernando Tatis Jr. has officially, well, not has unofficially, officially been ruled out uh, for this season. He is going on the ten day injured list. He's probably done for the year. An absolutely majestic rookie year. Arguably, actually, I don't think it's really arguable. Probably the best rookie year the Padres have ever had from their superstar shortstop. But what a fucking bummer to go out the way that he did. Big time, dude. Big time. It's (coughs) like when I heard about it, or when I first saw the swing, I thought to myself. I thought he fouled off his toe. No, I, well, I I wasn't sure about that. But you can kind of see him wincing and kind of moving his back. And I was like, oh, God. Like, I immediately thought to myself, he's done. Like, he's done. It's yeah. an oblique issue. Obliques, they yeah. linger. And I was like, all right, he's going to be put on the, the 15-day IL yeah, 10 or 10-day IL, and he'll be back in three weeks. But then I'm like, eh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see with the Padres, because we know how they are with the injuries. Someone gets injured, um, you know, he seems fine. We think he'll be back on Friday. <laughs> or he'll be back tomorrow. And then it's like, oh, well, all right, we're expecting him back on the weekend. Yeah. Nah, maybe 10 days. Fuck! He's gone! <laughs> like, that's how it is with them, man. And and I heard stress reaction. And then I heard Andy say, oh, yeah, he's probably done for the year. And my initial reaction, dude, the very first thing I thought of, and, and this is probably kind of pathetic, but the very first thing I thought of was not, oh, shit, he's done, was, fuck, we have to deal with Mets Twitter and Pete Alonzo. Because yeah. this seals it up for Pete Alonzo. He's oh, yeah, having, absolutely. Alonzo's having a great rookie year. Like, I, you don't want to take anything away from him. I mean, it's pretty clear if... Let's Tatis go Mike healthy. Soroka. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about starting that bit up, but I'm like, yeah, rookie of the year is gone. That's unfortunate. Even if he was gone for 10 days, honestly, I, I, I feel like it was probably gone for him. But that was the it's first thing. It would be really thing. tough to miss you know, another. I mean, he's already missed 30. He'll miss 40 games. That was so the first, yeah, that was the first thing the that my mind went to, for sure. But, I mean, he's gone. I, I think, honestly, if they were like contending for a wild card or contending for playoffs they might push it I he think. would be i think he'd be back in yeah. a couple weeks but at this point like you want to give him 30 days to get better it's already what august 19th anyways <coughs> so you give him 30 days that's september 19th like what's the point yeah i might as well just call it for there it sounds like we're on the same page and that it's probably more than anything just precautionary yeah i, I saw a lot of people on twitter and, and the last thing that you're gonna see me do is uh is sit there and uh 
diagnose how long he's going to be out because I tried that with his hammy and it didn't go well for me. (laughs) Yeah, I tried that with his hand. That didn't go well for me either. Yeah, so I I just think it's kind of like, all right, we'll we'll see you next year. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's gone. The team has fallen back into their, hey, we suck. It's terrible to watch us phase. Not as terrible, but... uh, if you don't have Tatis, the the team is like... Ten times, it's, it's it's tough. There's some good stuff boring. going on, but yeah, it's, he's the the fire behind all the yeah. all the other stuff. It's hard, dude. Like I sit, I still watch every game. I mean, for a couple reasons. One, I have to like I have to find a way to ignore my wife, and the Padre game is on, so obviously I'm going to watch it. And two, I want to follow along on Twitter. So I yeah. mean, I'm still watching the games. It's just, dude, it's not as fun. Like Fran Mill's gone, and that already sucked, and now we lose Tatis as well, and it's just like. Yeah, the object is to win games and losing Fran Mills kind of whatever, but <coughs> it's just, I want to be entertained. And watching this yeah. team, it's not entertaining. Yeah, and it's like, not easy. Ty France is fucking like Mike Trout in El Paso, and he comes up here and he's just fucking... But I have on good authority. His swing works in the major league level, Eric. I, I guess. But at the same time, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, well, you know, because I, I defended the shit out of Urias and I defended the shit yeah. out of Mejia. I'm like, oh, they need more time. At the same time, I'm writing off... Yeah, Ty I mean, France, but he's always going to be an organizational depth type of guy, anyways. He's very Hard depth backup, fringe, right? He's a platoon. fringe average, a fringe regular. I mean, yeah. there's some benefits there. Number one, you get Tatis healthy, and I think it does go back to the whole like it just makes me think of like Manny Machado when he says like I'm not a Johnny Hustle, where I don't think Machado doesn't hustle, but Machado clearly goes 65 to 70 percent most of the time on the bases. Mm-hmm. He does at least running to first. I want to say he has a 48 percent extra bases taken rate. So Manny hustles when he's on the bags. Yeah. But getting to first, he's like, fuck it, I'm not going to kill myself for 99% of the time being out. So I think... Uh, I that think comes with age and experience. It I does. I think Tatis is going to learn that over time. Especially after this year, because this year, especially the hamstring injury, like that's an injury trying to make a play. And I'm not going to get on the guy for it, but you do have to pick and choose your spots. But also at the same time, that's part of what makes him so exciting. Right. Is that he plays with Zara on fire, but... There is a there is a night there, there's a there's a happy medium there, but that is a bummer. But it does give the Potters some opportunity to get guys like Ty France. So you want to see what you've got in him, get him some everyday at bats. Um, the other news to go with Tatis is that I guess uh, holding his hand on the way to the injured list was good old Ian Kinsler, who not only got put on the injured list, but according to AC in an article I was reading because I was bored, um, he's done for. Period. Like, as in, he probably won't join the team ever again. Really? According to AC. That's what I was reading last night. Yeah. Hmm. Apparently, I didn't, see, I didn't see that. So, wait, he's done for good? I heard he's done for the year. He is done for the year, yes. But, based on what I read, it's AC all but insinuated he may be done with the Padres, period. Apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, no shit. Yeah. But, I mean, not from a standpoint of they're going to release him. More from a standpoint that... Like, he might retire? That he's injured to a point where... He might not come back from this injury, or at least not enough time for the Potters to justify bringing him back because he's been so impotent uh, hmm. this year. Some kind of—I'm trying to find it now—but it's some kind of like back injury or herniated disc of some sort um, that might keep him out for a while. Okay, whatever. No one cares about Kinsler. No, uh, but it's nice it finally ended. There was a lot of talk about Tatis <laughs> and whether or not he's injury prone, uh, whether or not he's unlucky, or whether he's unlucky or whether he's injury prone. Dennis Lynn wrote about it in the Athletic, in a really good piece. And our favorite guy on Padres Twitter, Mens Rea, 
was the first one that I saw um, that posed the question: Is Tatis injury prone, or is he unlucky? Like, is he said, is it too soon to say that Tatis is injury prone? And I think I think that's an interesting conversation because it's like you look at him and you see the plays that he makes, and I feel like the reasons why he got hurt is because of the way he plays. Like, he's not the back thing is the first thing where it's like, okay, wow, like there wasn't anything out of the norm, and he still got hurt from it. So, of the major injuries that he had, and that I think this is what number three, he had the thumb. Um, or the hand, whatever it was. Yeah. He had the hamstring and he had this. Only one of them, which is this back stress reaction, is like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of uh, troubling and concerning. The other two, like, I'm not concerned about a guy going all out and getting hurt because that's something you can rein in. And and with him learning, as time comes, I already think that we were going to start to see him kind of rein it in a little bit because his down. last game, his last game, I think it was, he got backpicked at first. He yeah. took a huge turnaround first base and got backpicked. And um, I already think that he was going to start slowing it down. Like, someone has to get in his ear yeah. about that. Because it's like, hey, you're costing the team by doing this. We appreciate the hustle, but it's costing the team. So, I, I already think that that was happening. I'm not worried about him long term. The back is kind of troubling, but I think he's going to be just fine. He's still growing into his body, which sounds funny, but... Yeah, I mean, he's only 20. I mean, yeah. for, like, we, I mean, we forget, like, he's basically one of the best players in the league, and he's... Only 20, but yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's a little early to say he's injury prone, right? This isn't like it's like when Carlos Quentin had that MVP year and then he slid at home plate, and I think the catcher fell on his hand. Like it's kind of been fluke stuff like that. Like this isn't on a, it's, it's not like if Arias came in this year and it's like, well, fuck, his hamstring is still bothering him, right? Like he keeps having hamstring issues, um, or if like Paddock had kept having elbow issues, right? Like it's not, it's not related to the same injury over and over again, like it was with. Carlos Quentin, who just kept having knee issues over and over. Tony Gwynn kept having, like, as time went on, you know, he kept having knee issues, and you just basically couldn't rely on him anymore. I don't think he's at that point just because they've been separate injuries. Like, the hamstring injury is kind of a fluke. He made a stretch, and he strained his hamstring because he did the splits. Yeah. This is kind of a fluke because I don't know if it's related. I mean, it may be. I didn't look too much into the stuff that was posted about, like, how this comes about, but I don't know how much of his it's related to his style of play, right? And it's not a knee injury. This doesn't sound particularly serious. I think we can all agree it's probably precautionary and it gives him a chance to look at other guys anyways. And he had a hell of a rookie year, right? Like, this is his first full season. It's the most games he's played in one year, probably. So I think a lot of us were only expecting 80-something games anyway. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, yeah. Not total, but at the major league level, I don't think any of us expected to see him this much We this lost year. the bet because of it. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think most of us expected to see him now. Like, you know, yeah. basically when they called up Urias, I feel like a lot of us thought that's when they'll call up Tatis right. um, a calendar year ago. So, um, I don't think he's injury prone yet. If he keeps having nagging injuries after this, like if this starts to, to be a thing of like, okay, he's having back issues, he's got to be rested because of his back, etc. Then maybe in the long run, but I think this is just, you know, a freak accident, just like his thumb was, just like the hamstring was. I don't think it's anything... Um, we have to worry about. It. It's not like he wasn't healthy before, right? It's not like Morahone who constantly misses time because he has tweaks or impingements or soreness, right? Like it's, it's just kind of stuff that randomly happens throughout the course of the year. And you're right. If they were in the wild card or if they were pushing 500 or whatnot, um, they probably have him back in two weeks or so, maybe by September um, or mid-September. But given where they're at in the rankings and the uh, standings, it makes sense that they just shut him down. Yeah, I mean. It's I don't know. It, it it's kind of weird. It's it's kind of weird because like obviously no one goes out and tries to get hurt. So it's not like yeah. hey is he 
I don't. I can see both sides of the argument. Like if someone says he's injury prone, I mean, I, I kind of get it. I mean, I, I also think you have to consider the source. The source who's saying he's injury prone. Yeah. Like if it's Dave Palay, obviously he's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna say, yeah, he's injury prone. Of course, guy can't stay healthy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he's just like Corey Seager. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and now John's gonna tell you, hey, actually, <laughs> Dodger fan John that listens to the podcast. Actually, you know what? Here's the numbers. I don't know why you brought this up, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sucks, man. Tatis is gone, but we get to see. See, I was kind of thinking, and I put it out there on, on Twitter. And I was like, all right, hey, bring up uh, France, put him at third base, and put Manny Machado at, at short. short yeah. But actually, I, I, I really like what they're doing instead by keeping Manny at third because he was brought in to be our third baseman, yeah. putting Urias at shortstop, and putting Ty France at second. I mean, it shows it shows versatility from both Urias and from Ty France. It shows what they can do. Ty France gets an audition, whether it's with us long term or whether it's a trade chip in the offseason. And to be honest with you, same with Urias. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he he could show value. Um, his bat starting to come around. He could develop into again either proving himself to be a long piece, long term piece with us, or to be a trade chip because we really need to look at improving this team. And I'm willing to do it any basically any way. Yeah, it, the, it has to make sense. The but. way I look at it is, I look at a team like the Dodgers. I got roasted on Twitter for this, and I was I ended up being wrong because of the stupid Cubs, but. I look at a team like the Dodgers, right? Like, that's our number one competition. That's the team we have to figure out how to get close to, to where we may not be better than them, but we have a good enough team where, because baseball is baseball, Mm -hmm. that we can luck our way into competing with them. And you look at how versatile their roster really is. Like, Max Muncy can play first, second. I think he's played third. Chris Taylor can pretty much play everywhere. Kike Hernandez can play pretty much everywhere. Um, uh, AJ, they have, like, three center fielders. Bellinger... Uh, Pollock, Verdugo, all that four center fielders, Peterson, like all those guys can play center field. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I look at that and I think like the Padres need more of this, right? Like this is why Kinsler didn't make any sense even when they signed him. Right. You know, it's like a backup. It's like he only plays one spot. So having France, even if he's not great, right? Because I think you can mask if, and the Padres apparently aren't very good at this or green is it, but even if you can mask a guy because you position him a certain way or in a certain spot to kind of mask his deficiencies, like if they can figure it out with France who by all means, is probably a corner infielder. They can figure out how to get him to masquerade at second base and getting his bat in there. That's a good idea, and they're going to have an opportunity to do that, like you said, either to contribute next year or to uh, possibly be a trade piece to get something that yeah. can contribute next year. Yeah, I, I think, and I've, I've been saying it, dude, and, and I want to I want to call him a shot, but I, I really feel like this offseason, this offseason there's going to be a lot of movement, whether there it's is. winter meetings or whenever – it, there's going to be a lot of movement. I don't. I don't know if they're going to bring in Cole. I want them to, but it's going to be I, a tough sell to bring in Cole. But there's oh, some stuff course. they could do. Of course, but I really see them consolidating prospects. I see them making moves to obviously get the major league team better. But like, I really see like a mini 2014, 2015 offseason. Yeah, very aggressive. Because, because what they're doing right now isn't really working. It's like it depends on how you define working. I think if you look at it from a record standpoint, absolutely not. It's not. But they're getting development out of guys who I think. We went into the season wanting to know, like, where are these guys going to stand when 2020 rolls around. But I think you're right. I think Preller's going to go into it thinking, okay, I have this core. I have these guys, all these young guys. You know, I got guys on the corners. So I need to add somewhere. And so I'm going to start trading these, like, prospects who are not, like, the 50 future values, right? Like, I'm going to hold on to those guys, but I got a bunch of 45s and maybe some 50s that I can flip and get some immediate assets back. I think you're right. I think that's coming. Did you want to go ahead and make our declaration now, or did you want to hold off on that? Uh, we can make it now. Okay, let's make it now. <laughs> we here at the 5.5 Podcast declare the new manager of the San Diego Padres, 
Joe Madden. Joe Madden. Man. Bring in good old Uncle Joe. Grandpa <laughs> Joe, Dad Joe, whatever the hell they call him. Bring I think him it's in. coming. I think it's coming. And we talk about it, and, and uh, Conniff says a lot. And we'll, but Eric, what has Andy Green not done that the exactly. front office has asked of him? Exactly. That's that's Conniff's favorite line. And, and we'll bring him on. Maybe we'll ask him about it. Yeah. But yeah, everyone likes to say, oh, Andy's just doing exactly what the front office wants. And Which may or may not be the case. I mean, yeah, who knows, but... I just, I really feel like they need something else. And the reason why I feel like they're going to make a move is you, you're starting to hear the whisperings of, hey, maybe Preller's on the hot seat. And you even hear people, like, the kind of the tide on Twitter is like, hey, when's Preller going to be on the hot seat? Yeah. Andy, Andy's getting shit on, but no one says anything to Preller. Like, Preller's a guy that put this roster together. And I feel like there has to be a shakeup. That's why, number one, I think they're going to have a, an intense offseason. So that's going to be shooken up. And then also, they need something different. They need a new voice. They need a new strategy. And I feel like Madden fits that bill. Like I feel like Madden is the guy that will take the stuff that the analytics guys in the front office are throwing at him and put it to use better than what Green will. I absolutely agree. And here's and, I, and I've said this... Um, and people are going to shit on me because I always say I don't fucking care about analytics. But well, yeah, let's let's use a different word for it. Like you're not analytics. Strategy, like, <laughs> information. Right? Yeah, there you That's go. That's all analytics. I go. know people hate it, but like, don't worry about the uh, weighted runs created plus OPS plus. Like, take that stuff out of it. All analytics is is just information, right? It's like going into a. It's like Craig Meddy, for instance, really good at the betting lines, right? But why? Because he's been doing it a long time. He's got his info and the things that he reviews that tells him, okay, this is the way I want to go. That's all analytics is. It's taking information that you have to influence a decision and try to guess what the outcome is going to be. But an educated guess, right? It's not like, well, I think the Royals are going to win the Central next year. Based on what? I'm a Royals fan. Like, right. right? It's, you know what? Based on this information, I think this player is going to do this, right? That's all you're doing. And Madden comes from a front office that's now ran by the rival Dodgers, um, or is running the rival Dodgers, but he comes from that where that's why they hired him. He was a guy who was open to the information. He was open to it as a coach in the minor leagues. He was open to it as a manager. He took a team like the Padres, but at the beginning stages of like, hey, we're in this rebuild. We got all these young players that we're kind of trying to mix and match. He took that team and transitioned from a rebuild to contention, where now the Rays, pretty much every couple of years, they seem to be competitive and kind of cycle through. But Madden was at the beginning of that that helm where he had the B.J. Uptons and the Evan Longorias and the Carl Crawfords, you know, and, and David Price and Shields. We had all these young guys that just kind of had to mix and match, right? So he has that experience. He has the experience of taking a team that needed, that had expectations, big expectations of Cubs, and transitioning them, A, from rebuild into contender, but more so than that, transitioning them into contender do we have expectations rather quickly too rather quickly which i think is also because you know the pieces that were in play but that's to me where the padres are right Mm -hmm. like if they all go out and get a starter next year whether it's cole whether it's kluber whether it's whoever they might trade for right like maybe they trade for bauer for whatever reason right and it's taking guard yeah exactly but it's it's madden having the experience of knowing okay here's a team and i do think the padres are on the brink right like i don't think the first half was too much of a mirage i just think they had a lot of young players that just ran out of gas and the bullpen was terrible. But a good, better bullpen and maybe a better rotation, like if Lamette was there the whole year, maybe things look a little bit different, right? So I think Madden is a perfect guy to come in here and look at that and say, like, we're maybe a piece away, but I can we can transition into a contender next year and maybe move that window up a little bit sooner, 
right? Maybe help get the McKenzie Gores and the Patinos on the roster and utilize them in a way that helps the Potters become contenders on top of whatever moves they make. Like, he's done it all. He's been there. He's been through the rebuild, the transition period. He's been through the contention, you know, the window of opportunity. He's done all that. He's the perfect fit for this team. Yeah. And like you said, he's analytically minded. You know, he's he's good with the Cubs and that he mixes and matches and he gets everybody at bats and, you know, moves everybody around. To me, there's no other perfect fit. He's able to do all that and he's still able to keep a very loose clubhouse. You know what I mean? Beloved. Like he's known for that. He's yeah. beloved in his, the clubhouse. Yeah, his players love his guy um, love him and you know, to uh HJ Preller's point when he came uh Madden came out and, you know, said whatever he said about Addison Russell. Russell. It's a bad look. Well bad look. What HJ said is he was making the argument of you can make the argument that Madden has his guys back to a fault. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that, but like he really has his dudes backs, so like for sure. If someone gets smoked on the Cubs, guess what? The other team's getting smoked. And that's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want badly. And I feel like he's the guy for that as well. So we'll see. I mean I'm not crazy about the fact about what he did about Addison Russell, but no. when I look at when I look at, you know, one side of what I love about mm-hmm. him and one side about what I hate, that's probably one of the things that I hate, I hate. that. And, that I, and that's about it. Yeah, that's the one negative I have. Like even with Rizzo, like we hated Anthony Rizzo, but like if our player had done that, like imagine if Machado like slid into somebody right aggressively, yeah. And Green said, "Yeah, you know, it was a dirty play. You know, we got to talk to Manny about that." Padres Twitter would be chomping at the fucking bit to yep. rip him a new asshole, absolutely, rightfully so, right? Yep. So like, he's he's that guy that you know, Padres Twitter seems to feel, and I understand this seems to feel. Somebody put a gif of Andy Green saying, "I'm sorry about that," but when he's arguing with an umpire, right? They feel like Green is. <laughs> Like, not that he's a dumb guy, but he just doesn't have, I guess you could say, the guts. Like, this is where, to me, like, guts... Mobbles! Yeah, the mobbles. You have no mobbles! <laughs> the guts and the grit and, you know, the mindset of a manager. Like, I think that matters. I think knowing, like, hey, Andrew Green's going to go out there and, like, argue. Like, say what you want about Dave Roberts, like, uh, you know, managing on analytics to a T... He went out there and threatened to beat up Andy Green for his players. <laughs> I feel like, like I feel like Roberts. <laughs> Dave Roberts is a guy. Dave Roberts is like the quintessential tough guy or fake tough guy yeah. to where he only he's like, hey, hold me back, hold me back. You know, but he I mean? still pushed. He still chest bumped Green. I guess he did, and he still told him, "You and me." <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> Which say whatever you want about it. it's a tough. It was funny. It's funny, but at the same time, imagine if that's your manager, right? Like, imagine if you and I are playing our Sunday league, and our manager goes over there and threatens the other guy. It's you <laughs> and me, and fucking chest bumps him. I'm the so fucking sure the Lockhart will ever do that. I'm so <laughs> sure. But I mean, just imagine, like, as a player, if your manager did, like, your high school manager. Yeah. Imagine if he fucking chest bumped the other guy across, you know, Mount Miguel's manager, and said, "You and me, buddy. You and me," and you know, pointing at him and giving him the fucking evil eye. Like, as a player, like, watching your manager get that into it, that's amazing. I fucking love when my varsity manager got tossed. It happened two or three times a year. And it was <laughs> fucking glorious. Yeah. I loved it. And I feel like there is some merit behind knowing that your manager's going to have your back. I think there's merit. Like, I'm not all into the plunking guy stuff, but, like, I think there's merit in chopping the balls off of your pitcher for a guy who took your catcher out and saying, I want you to promise me you're not going to hit him. Like... I think there's some merit in that. I think Madden is the guy that'll come in here and say, "Hey, look, it, you know, it's my it's my job to manage you guys, manage your personalities, manage your expectations and your workloads and shit like that." But like, we're all a team here, so if you guys feel you need to stand up for each other, then by all fucking means, I have your back no matter what. Yeah, like Clint Hurdle does. Like he tells, he's I all love but, Clint Hurdle. He's man. all but said, 
hey, go ahead and throw at him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and say what you will about you know the moral aspect of that mentality. It's basically, I don't care what you guys do, right or wrong, I have your back. Right? Like, yeah. And I think that's the kind of guy they need. Madden just also happens to be forward-thinking and analytically minded, and he happens to have the experience that we're looking for. We're in the position where the Cubs were, where, yeah, Rick Renneria was a nice guy. I'm sure the players liked him. Like, he was a good guy. But they brought in Madden because they knew they needed somebody who had been there before, and he was the perfect fucking fit. That's exactly where the potties are. I'm sure Andy Green's a nice guy. He'll catch on with another team, and I wish him all the best. But to me, Madden is the guy that you go after. I want two big free agent signings. Cole and Madden should be their two top targets. I think they wanted Madden before he signed with the Cubs. Yes. But that was still, they had Black. They're like, mm, all right, we'll give him another shot. And they it would have been firing. a really bad look. Yeah, it would have been a bad well, look. Well, it was a bad look when the Cubs fired. Like, as soon as Madden was like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, Andrew Freeman opted out? Well, I have this option in my contract where yeah. if he leaves, I opt out. And they're like, uh, hey, Rick, thanks for everything, but uh, bye, Dios. Joe Madden now introduced <laughs> as the Cubs manager. They shit-canned him quickly. It was yeah. a bad look. I, they I, took a I big think they wanted to go with Madden at that point in time. But yeah. they're like, all right, let's stick with Bud and, and see what he has. It was kind of better that they didn't because then you'd be here this whole time losing and you know losing the prestige of being this great manager. I think though It wasn't the, the right timing then, but no. now is the right timing. I don't see them letting that pass a second time. No. I don't see it happening. It so. makes way too much sense. So it'll be nice to have Green out of here. It'll be kind of fun to see what Madden will bring to uh, to the team and man at this point like he's if it really gonna happen, jump on I'm that fucking the travel day jump uh, yeah, outfits, oh yeah. dude oh yeah he, he'll jump all over that yeah hundred percent yeah he'll bring in like weird animals to clubhouse and shit and yeah it'll be fun it'll um, be somebody fun. on Twitter mentioned and I like this like how Wilson Contreras basically looks at him like his dad <laughs> yeah <laughs> like yeah. that's the kind of relationship he. He, he builds with his players. Or like He's like a father figure to a lot of these kids. Yeah, Mejia is going to look at him the same way, and I can't wait for that. I'm I cannot really wait for that either. Let's talk about Mejia because uh, <laughs> as of right now, I mentioned, you know, the Padres are kind of in this position where, uh, you know, it, it's a failure from a wins-loss standpoint, which I think is an easy out to get rid of Andy Green. But there's been some good progress. Like, Fernando Tatis Jr. was basically, when he's on the field, an MVP candidate, right? Yeah. Uh, Manny Machado... Has been great. He's been Manny Machado. Yeah, and now we're seeing like this up the middle core with Margot, who's really stepped it up. Urias has turned it around after struggling initially. Who'd have thought? Twenty-two year old gets some at bats, so he gets better. But really, uh, fucking Mejia and Margot have been amazing, especially Mejia. Especially Mejia. Yeah, what Mejia's been doing, it's been a lot of fun for me, obviously. Because <laughs> oh, I, love, I bet. I love stirring the pot, but I know it's not sustainable what he's doing. Like Maybe. it's No. Dude, dude he's been batting like 500. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been absolutely <laughs> absurd, the fucking tear that he went on. But, yeah, watching that is, dude, you have no idea how fun that has been for me. For oh, sure. I know how fun it's been. But, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I can see the core that they're developing up the middle. That's That's been fun to watch. I still with Margot when I watch him, I'm like, I don't. I'm. He's. It's like he's like Cinderella, and I'm waiting for the pumpkin to come. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's been doing it for the longest stretch that he has in his whole career. So I don't know if this is sustainable for him. I mean, he's still really young. Maybe he's only 25. Yeah, That's amazing. I feel like he should be like 27 or 28. Dude, he's, he's mad, only 25. Yeah, he's super young. So maybe this is. Who he is. So, if it is, then yeah. I mean, I, I think that we got a good one. But I'm still, as much as I should be convinced, I'm still not convinced when it comes to Margot. I'm having a lot of fun watching it, but I don't know if it's if it's sustainable for him. 
Um, I think it's. I don't know if he's going to slug 480 once they uh, once they peter out the ball a little bit there. You know, when they come up with these studies that they don't know why the ball's being juiced and then do whatever they did to uh, eradicate it. But um, here's the thing with Margot. So since June 1st, right? He's had. A, he's had. Um, coming into the ninth, he's had 197 plate appearances. He's walking at a 14% clip, striking out at a 15% clip. The biggest, one of the biggest um, compliments on Margot and why people liked him, right? Proler likes loud tools. Well, his loud tool was he had good bat-to-ball skills. He made a lot of contact. He had a good approach. Maybe he wasn't a watch machine, but he wasn't a guy who was over there hacking. You know, he could put the ball in plays, a line drive type of swing, etc. He hadn't really done that. I mean, he did a little bit last year. But this is the first year where he's really... Like, the approach has come has come to a point where it's like, you know he's going to put the ball in play, not going to chase too many pitches, and he's going to he's gonna put together a competitive at-bat. Right. Since June 1st, he only has an average on balls in play of 264. So it's not like he's getting super lucky or anything like that, right? Like, he's not hitting 500 when he makes contact. But since that time, he's got a 251 average, which still isn't that great. But then you look, it's like a 362 on base and 479 slugging. That's good for 20, 20 points above league average. Like... I think that's sustainable. Maybe the power isn't sustainable, but I think when you have good well, process... Well, he's, not, he's yeah. not really hitting the ball that hard. I don't know. I haven't looked up his exit velos or anything like that. Well, I'm what I base this off of, and once again, I'm on fan graphs. As am I. So this is a this is a, a bit of breaking news, but he's not... If you look at his... I, when I do go to fan graphs, I, I like to look at hard hit percentage, medium yeah. contact, and soft contact. And it's, it's kind of funny because with Margot, his hard... His hard contact isn't that high. So it's kind of weird because his hard contact isn't that high. His uh, batting average on balls in play is 20 points lower than the major league average, which I think is weird. And it's just like he's not chasing pitches out of the zone. I'm, I'm looking at those numbers as well. This is the least that he's chased out of the zone in his whole career. So those things I'm looking at, I'm like, maybe it is sustainable. His medium contact percentage falls right in league average. There you go. And it's just like... I don't, I don't see any outliers that, that make it yeah. to where it's not sustainable. The only thing that, to me, that makes it think that is just he hasn't done it yet. So I'm like, maybe he's one of the guys that just needs more exposure and needs more time to get shit together. Maybe this is finally him getting his shit together. Maybe maybe the magic potion is, hey, guess what? Don't swing at balls. <laughs> you know I mean, maybe <laughs> that's thought? what it is. Who'd maybe that's what it is. But Somebody tell Hunter Renfro. It's, it's been magic. a lot of fun to watch him. And I, don't even, I won't even try to get into defensive metrics or anything. But I put out there on Twitter yesterday that just based off the eye, content, the eye, eye, the eye test... Plays around the warning track, plays around the wall. He seems a lot more comfortable. He used to be anytime that first foot would hit dirt. Oh man, yeah. nope, nope, nope. He's nope. stay away, stay yeah, away. He's like, oh shit, you know, he, he quivers up. But now he looks a lot more comfortable and plays around the wall. So I like, I'm, I like what I'm seeing. I still, for whatever reason, maybe I'm just you know a cynic about it, but I, I don't think it's sustainable. But we'll see. I don't know if he's gonna slug, you know, for. 479, 480 once the ball, you know, comes back in. But these are his numbers right now, considering his slow start. All right, he's at 245, 322, 409 uh, coming into the year. That was his, that was, or coming into the night's game against uh, Cincinnati. Right? Like, that's still, with his defense, still really fucking good. Right. Like, he's close to an average hitter. We've said, like we said, it's about hedges, right? Like, for a center fielder, a shortstop, and a catcher, if you can get near or around a league average hitter and they they are good defensively that is an everyday player and Margot is pretty close he's been hitting number one he's he's hit 30 points above league average each of the last two months and he was almost average in June so he's kept this going for a while 
Um, and the defense absolutely plays. Like anything you look at from Margot is going to tell you, you know, he's an excellent defender. I pointed out that game against Colorado where they came back dramatically to win it, right? And there was a play he makes in center field, and I'm thinking, that's the play of the game. No fucking way anybody else on the team makes that play. Like, Myers doesn't make that play right. if, if he happens to be in center field. So I think this is sustainable. I don't think he's... His look current- at, if you look at Savant, though, his exit velo is among the worst. Is it? As far as qualifiers. His hard hit percentage is way down there. I think like with his, the walks is what it is if, more if than If you anything. look at, like, the guys, if you like expected stats, you know what I mean? If you're, like, uh, Pog Langford or Ram Platty, you love expected stats. Ex-Woba, all the way down near the bottom of the league. Expected batting average, way down there. Expected slugging, way down there. So how does how is someone's career year... Made from all of that happening. Walks. I don't know. You guys tell me. Walks and lack you guys of are way smarter than me. I'm just. Yeah. I'm looking at these numbers. I'm the caveman. <laughs> I'm the caveman that get that got placed into 2019, and all of a sudden he has a Roku TV, <laughs> and he he does. Uh, we have food in fridge. Eat all the time. He has an iPad. Yeah. He has a podcast thing, and he does four mile walks every day. Thing. Like that's me. So let me know how does that happen. I'm I'm really intrigued by how how this is coming to be for Margot. I don't know because it's definitely not bad. Like I said, since June 1st, he's hitting 264 on balls in play. So it's not like he's getting lucky yeah. or anything like that. I honestly think it's a huge uptick. In, it's, a, it's a thing in that he's not striking out as much, but he's also walking a lot more. Like 14%. Yeah. That's basically 14 walks a month. That's 14 at-bats you can take off and know I'm just going to walk to first. Yeah, That's a lot, right? Like it is. 100 at-bats, now you're like, oh, 85. So I can still get 20 hits, but now all of a sudden I'm closer to 250 than 200, right? So I think that probably has a lot to do with it. And it seems every now and then he'll run into like a home run where he just absolutely hammers. Yeah. And uh, so, but nonetheless, like at, at the very least, he seems to be a piece where it's like, okay, well, he's good in center. That's one less thing we have to worry about. Yeah, I'll tell you what it has earned him, though. It has earned him, like, I'm not so quick to say, yeah, the job is Franchi's. If he can, you know, if hell freezes over and Franchi's healthy, that's his job. Yeah, there's like, I'm of not injuries, as bro. quick. Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not as quick to say that anymore. I don't. I don't know how Margot is doing it, but he's doing it. So he's earned at least that. Yeah. So there's another thing, by the way, that we can like point to Madden and that like let's be honest here, Hunter Renfro's been trashed for a couple. He's months been up. terrible, dude. He's been fucking awesome. It's like, as soon as Andy like for all the compliments I gave Andy Green being creative and getting Myers, Margot, Renfro, and Ray as a ton of at bats each and not letting them get cold, mm-hmm. uh, but also not letting them spiral into slumps. It's been the exact opposite. Like, well, Hunter will get out of it eventually. It's like he's. He's not. He he looks like a platoon player. Yeah. So, but that's another thing that Madden is good at. Let's say they, they let's say they don't make any more trades, right? Mark, it's Margot, it's Cordero, it's Myers, and it's Renfro. Those are your four outfielders. Like, I think I, I think, think Madden can make it work. I'll tell you right now. I think there is no chance that's their outfield next year. Mm-mm. I'll say there's zero chance. And uh, who do you think <laughs> the odd man out is? I think there's a couple odd man out. I I would be surprised. Put it this way. I'll be surprised with the way I see their offseason going. I would be surprised if Renfro is on the team next year, and I would be surprised if Will Myers is on the team next year. I, I think they're going to eat money for Myers. I think they're going to eat money for Myers, and if they can't find a taker, then sure he'll be on the team. Now, do you think it'll be both or one of the two? Because I don't know if you can get rid of both of them. Why not? Who are you going to replace them with? External options. Trade for you mentioned, and we've seen on Twitter. Trade for Mitch Haniger. Yes, but that trade kills, a, trade a shit ton of prospects. Like, that kills. Figure one, it out. That kills one guy. We still need another corner outfielder. These guys, we always say, like, are they championship caliber? No, no, absolutely. <laughs> I don't not. see, especially Hunter Renfro. No, not championship caliber. 
He's not. Like, I I'm tried with, to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm done with the, oh, this might be who he is bit. Like, we're done with that. Yeah. Okay? He's been trash. He is. He swings at a lot of pitches. He didn't change his approach. His on-base is always hovering around 300. Yeah. He's just not hitting one every three balls out of the ballpark anymore. Oh, God, dude. I know. He's tough it's to watch. It's so frustrating. It hurts more in that we don't have anybody else, like, because Franchi is seemingly injury-prone. Right. To, like, plug in. But, yeah, I mean, I could, I could see one of the two moving. I think of the guys most likely, it's probably Renfro, because you could probably get something for him, um, or at least get more for him, mm-hmm. and not have to eat a ton of money. I don't think Will Myers is this bad. I mean, he's been better of late, it seems like. I haven't actually looked it up. but Yeah, I have a soft spot for Myers, so... I feel if, bad for him, if, honestly. If he sticks around, I'm, I'm okay with it, of yeah. course, but I think Renfro's gone. Yeah. I think Renfro's gone, and I'm honestly kind of looking forward to that. Wow, I can't believe you're saying that. You almost got a Renfro jersey in 2016. Yeah. Wow, or 2017, excuse me. Dude, it totally goes against my whole mantra of loving rednecks that rake. <laughs> it goes against it, but he's frustrating to watch at the plate. He really is. When he's dialed in, he's a lot of fun, man. And earlier in the season, he was a lot of fun. But when he's bad, oh, God, he is bad. It's just swing and miss after yeah. swing and miss after swing and miss. Yeah, it's, so, yeah, it's not fun. No, it's not. Now, somebody who's been fun, but I think they might be out of gas. Um, Paddock. Paddock is not, uh, he's not been very good the last 20 innings. I had mentioned really early in the year on Twitter that, like, I could see them giving him going from 90 to 150. Uh, He might be toast after this month. What's he at right now? Um, I believe he's at 111, I believe. But over his last 20, let me tell you these numbers over the last 20. It's been, so he cleared the 90 inning mark, I think, four or five starts ago. So he's thrown 20 innings, so it's at 111 now. Over his last 20 innings, he's given up 23 hits. Uh, his uh, earned run average is 6.3. His fielding independent pitching is 5.17. Mm. And he's giving up two and a quarter home runs every nine innings. Yikes. It's uh, He's still striking out a lot of guys. He still has more strikeouts than innings. He only has five walks. So it's, like, it's not like that has cratered. But to me, the first thing to go when a pitcher is tired is command. And uh, I feel like, yeah, he's throwing strikes. He's got good control, but he's not commanding like he was. Like It, it, it feels like Matt Latos 2010 where you can see, not just in the numbers, but in the way he's pitching and that he's maybe running on fumes and it might be getting close time to shut him down. Yeah, I think, uh, well, was it AC that said he has like five starts left in him or something I think like AC that? said they could, he could see him going about 40 innings, which would put him around yeah. that 140, 150. That's minutes. fine. Yeah, use, take that. Build off the off season. I mean, he's a guy that Hell pushes of a fucking himself. rookie year for yeah, him, right? Yeah, hey, you had a great rookie season. You know, build off of that. Go into the off season. Put some weight on. Some good weight. Not some miserable yeah. pottery. Don't, yeah, don't put uh, 5.5 <laughs> weight on. Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, put 5.5 weight on. Yeah. Put on some good weight. Put on some muscle. Uh, make yourself more durable going into next season so you can give us the whole season. And, you know, work, work on it, dude. I, I think he catches too much of the plate. Especially with two strikes. Yeah, I've seen that. I, I feel like that. I feel like you're right. Right. It kind of reminds me of like Baez when Baez was in single A, and he's just carving motherfuckers up because yeah. he threw really hard and had a good breaking ball. Right. Same thing with Paddock. He's he's far too advanced last year for double A. He probably could have pitched in the majors last year. I don't think there's any discernible difference. But I think you're right. I think he has to learn how to throw a strike without throwing it over the plate. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that comes with deception. Uh, I've been reading this book, The MVP Machine, which I highly advise. John Conniff turned me on to it. Oh, yeah. um, and it's talking about, like, you know, guys that go to driveline. It has a really good uh, really good section on Trevor Bauer's thought process about pitching. Uh-huh. Like, I 100% believe Chris Paddock can develop a third pitch. I don't know if it's a curveball, but I'd be interested to see his, like, pitch effects data and based on spin rate and how the ball comes out of his hands. Like, 
Maybe there's another pitch in there. He's just not using the proper tools to figure it out. Maybe go on the opposite and think of that. Like, okay, I want to improve my curveball. How can I get more spin on my curveball to give it more depth, to tunnel it better, to, to have it be- have better break? Like, what can I do in the offseason? And you're right. Put some muscle on. You know, reflect on last season. Figure out what you want to do and go from there. Maybe change the approach a little bit. Come up with a cutter or a two-seamer. Something that moves. Because he doesn't throw hard enough all the time right. to throw it down the dick. Yeah, you'll see later in the game. He'll dip down to 92, yeah. 93. In which, at that point, you're going to need some kind of movement. So, I would love... Dude, we've been, how long have we been saying? Mix in a slider. Please! You know what I mean? Mix in a slider. If you throw a... Yeah, throw a cutter, great. Cutter, slider, whatever. But if the... I don't know. If the curveball is going to be there... I. I kind of want to see him get the curveball down before he adds anything else, but I'm not sure because sometimes, sometimes he'll snap off a breaking ball. It's like holy shit, and then other times he hangs it and, and it just gets, gets fucking <laughs> absolutely just annihilated. And it's like, oh god. And then you know, I'm like, oh, hanging breaking ball and it was crushed. Let me see who was the catcher. Of course it was Mejia. <laughs> of course it was Mejia. Because why else would that hanging ball or would that breaking ball be hanging if not? You know, for the catcher behind the plate. But, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. So, it's like, do you have him just start? I mean, like, we had mentioned going in the piggyback or going to the bullpen or, you know, doing that. But at this point, man, give him a couple more starts and, and call it a year, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe shut him down going in September. Or if you're not going to shut him down, it's like, hey, look, like, you have two options. You know, you can just shut you down and call it a day. Or you can be an opener. Like, do you want to do that? Do you want to go two or three innings, get your work in through the, you know, first part of the lineup and then – you know, go ahead and go reflect and have a seat and, you know, wait for the next start. I think there's creative ways to do it to keep him out on the field. I think he'd be much more open to being an opener than mm-hmm. he would be to just saying, like, getting shut down. Or yeah, not. yeah, getting shut down. I don't think he would like that one bit. He doesn't like that they're fucking. He doesn't like the pitch. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. like that they're limiting him as it is, even though looking at his numbers, you know, maybe he's getting. I, I don't know for sure. Like, only he can know, right? I'm just going based off, you know, the numbers I'm looking at. And maybe he's a little bit tired because he's giving up more home runs. And usually that means, like, you're making mistakes, right? The guys aren't going to dig out his changeup very often. If they do, great. But, you know, giving up a lot of home runs and hard contact, that's that's missing over the plate. So yeah. maybe you tell him, hey, you know, go out there and just give us three innings and, and we'll figure out a way to bridge it to uh, the back end. They got guys like uh, Erland's backup. Perdomo has been sneaky solid this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Baez, uh, I don't know when Morahone's coming back. But, you know, they have ways. Strom, another guy, they have ways they can bridge it. Uh, to the back end of the bullpen. Watching Strom kind of makes me wonder if he's going to be a feature piece in in the rotation or not. His, is he going to be in the rotation? Is he going to be in the pen? I don't, I think he's I don't a know pen Strom. Guy. He's a pen guy. I yeah. looked at his ERA. It's been a while since I checked. It was a couple weeks ago. I think at the beginning of the month. Um, take defense out of it. Fielding independent pitching, is, is it was like under two yeah. as a reliever, yeah. which is really, really good. But I think that's what he is. And they're having that three batter minimum. I think it's next year. No. I think it's next year. But the Potters are... Oddly set up really well to do that. And I think the guy to handle that ship <laughs> and be creative with this pitching staff is absolutely Joe Madden. Yeah. I mean, yeah, dude. I, all signs point towards Madden. That's the easy way out. Like, hey, of course. Yeah, I mean, is it really easy? You're going to have to pay him, you know, a lofty, a pretty lofty salary for a manager. Like, he's, he's, a, he's basically, you're signing a market value free agent, but as a manager, right? Like, it's kind of like if you like, I identify Joe Girardi as the guy I want, right? Like, he's not going to take Aaron Boone money. It's like, motherfucker, I'm established. Like, I have an established track record. Yeah. Right? So, it's not like it's going to be cheap to get Madden. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely see. But anyways, we have about five minutes until we bring Conniff on. So, one thing that I wanted to bring up. We touched, we talked about Mejia earlier. I really wanted to bring up Austin Hedges' comments. <laughs> 
to in the U, in the UT with uh, Kevin AC. Oh God! You have a you have a screenshot Indeed of his exact words, which, which depending on how much you love Austin Hedges and how much he's your guy, that's the more and more that you'll twist and turn for this comment to not be as bad as what it actually is. But if you read it, if you read it verbatim, uh, the comment that it is, let me let me read it with the with the voice inflection, okay. right? Just so that there's no. I don't want there to be any. Are you only confusion. not letting me read it because I'm not white? I don't want there to be any confusion. Okay. Yeah. Here's the quote from Austin Hedges, and this is in the UT. You guys can find it. He says, "Quote: There's no reason, with the value I bring to the field, even right now, honestly, that I shouldn't be in the lineup." Now, how is anyone supposed to interpret read that other than it, exactly what it says? It's even better. And then Austin Hedges says, "Quote: That's just the value I bring. That's what I expect to be in the lineup." But a lot of that isn't up to me. What does that say other than, hey, I know I'm the guy. I expect to be the starter. But that's not up to me. What else does that say? You have people twisting and turning. And no, it's not just Maggie. There's other people (laughs) that are twisting and turning. Well, he just expects to be better. Bullshit. Like, read the comment for what it is. Now, he may have said that later on in the article. Yeah, of course. But... That, that comment right there, there says, no, hey, yeah. I know my value, and I should be starting. Right where he says, but a lot of that isn't up to me, that right there, boom, done. Like, he, that's him saying, hey, I believe to start, I believe I should be starting, but I don't write the lineups, is especially what he is. Yeah. And what, what that's he's what he's saying. Sa- what, yeah, what he's saying is, I should be in the lineup, but, you know, it's not my fault I'm not. Right. That's what he's blaming. He's not taking accountability. Now, I know he said some other bullshit fluffs, fluffy... Nonsense. He finally said the things that he should say. Yeah, at the at the end. But there's no denying that quote. It is what it is. It's in black and white. Now here's what he's saying: Mejia shouldn't start. I should start. Yep. And you know, I like how. And then he acknowledges, like even now, basically saying, "I know I'm not hitting, but I should still be in the lineup." Yeah. Mejia's not the guy that's best for this team. I am. Right. He, I feel like. Oh, but he's confident. I feel like he's running out with a printout of his Fangraphs front page <laughs> with his fucking finger pointing in the air, telling. Uh, <laughs> It's it's like when fucking Dwight goes and runs to Michael's office. Right? Yeah. I feel like that's what he's doing to Andy Green. Oh, but, but Andy, Andy, it says right here, <laughs> I am tw- I have 28 runs to defensive runs saved and I'm 15 runs above the average framer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're also hitting a buck 80, guy. Dude, you know how on Baseball Savant yes. it shows how sh- how shitty in Hedges is uh, instance shows how shitty they are as far as yeah. hard to hit percentage and blah 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 and hedges have everything in the red? everything is ice cold for hedges but they just recently started putting in like uh i think pop time for catchers or framing uh-huh. they put in defensive metrics and those are red hot for hedges among the oh, yeah, highest in the league which no one has ever doubted but maybe for players weekend austin hedges should use a savant and just photoshop everything <laughs> except for his defensive out just put that on the back of his player weekend jersey <laughs> <laughs> So that way, when even when he has a chest protector on, you'll still see his baseball savant on the back. So as a reminder why he's playing. So after he strikes out, he can just turn his back to the camera and walk back towards the back towards the bench. I'm so sick of him, dude. I'm so sick. I'm surprised of him. that his players' weekend jersey isn't FRM, which is it's Hedgehog. Runs. It's so stupid. God, it's so stupid. Yeah, I was sitting there. I almost had a little bit of respect Hedgehog. for him. Hog. Why? Well, I heard people. I heard people calling him Hog. I was like, oh yeah, Hog. Oh, people are calling him Hog on on the on the team I see on Instagram. And I halfway had respect for him because I was like, hey, maybe that means this dude's fucking packing. Maybe that's like an inside joke. But no, it's Hedgehog because oh. his last name is Hedges. Like, God, dude, I can't fucking stand that guy it's like when i see him i know he brings a shit ton of value defensively and he's a perfect backup but when i see 
quotes like that, I do not want that guy on my team. This is a I want him gone. I don't even want the pitchers to have the option of wanting to throw to him. I want him gone. It's not a team first comment, right? It's not a jersey on the front counts more than the name on the back comment, right? Or the name on the front, right? It's it's that bullshit that Nick Hunley pulled when he was pissed off that the yeah. better guy was getting playing opportunities and he was getting benched because of it. So instead of owning up and saying, hey, I understand where the team's going, this is a young prospect. They gave up a lot to get him. They want to see what he has. Nope. Well, you know, I should be playing. You know, I didn't take steroids. Yeah. It's being a complete. It's being completely selfish, self-centered, arrogant, entitled, yeah. and he's being a brat. That's yeah. what he's being. It's like my four-year-old daughter. I told you this in a thread. It's like when my four-year-old daughter gets pissed off at me because I tell her she can't have candy for dinner. Yeah. That's how he comes off. It's he comes off completely entitled, like. This is my job. I should be playing. The other guy shouldn't be playing. I'm the best guy. You know, I should be out there. I don't care what what anybody else says or or what value he is bringing to this team who has been playing at a fucking all-star level. Yeah. Like, even with his... You can say what you want. The numbers don't lie. A catcher, even if he's below average framing, which is going to be irrelevant soon... If he's below average framing, but he hits the way Mejia's hit, that is a fucking all-star. Yep. It is an all-star. It if is. You give, if you tell somebody, hey, I have this catcher who's hitting 300 with a 350 on base and slugging 500, but he's not that great defensively. Uh, or you can have the guy who's hitting like 40, 65% or 55% below league average, but he frames a lot. Nobody's going to fucking take hedges. Nope. No guy in their right mind would take hedges. Except for a quarter of Padres' Twitter. <laughs> it went from half to a quarter. We're, we're slowly getting there. But yeah, man, when I saw that quote from Hedges, I was like... It's a bad take. I was like, man, Tough fuck look. that guy. Fuck that guy. Tough so, scene. Speaking of fuck that guy, we're going to go out to John Conniff. Uh, he's out in Monterey, Mexico. Live in Mexico. <laughs> that's that's quite the transition. We love <laughs> we love our pal JC. So uh, we're going to head out to uh, Monterey, Mexico and try to get in touch with the overlord, John Conniff from Mad Friars. Make sure you guys subscribe, madfriars.com. And if you ever want merch from minor leagues, make sure you go to Mad Friars and click through the affiliate links on their page. Give them some Mad credit. Friars gets hooked up from that, so make sure you guys do it. Anyways, uh, here comes John Conniff. All right, folks, we are back uh, live with a uh, limited Wi-Fi card via Walmart, Mexico. John Conniff in Monterey. John, welcome back, sir. Hey, it's a pleasure to be the first international guest of the Five Point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're down in Monterey. Now I'm thinking there's there's no teams down in Monterey for the Padres. Are, are you scouting the young men down on the fields, or are you there for work? I'm there for work. I'm doing the work on behalf of the, the U.S. government. So you guys uh, can thank me later. The liaison to the president, I assume, John, doing God's work <laughs> as always. God, man, I thought we were friends, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us. You were recently in Tri-Cities to uh, right. take in some games with the uh, Dust Devils there. Uh, kind of set the tone. Who's out there? Because I'll be honest. I'll, I mean, pardon my ignorance. I don't know a lot about Tri-City. You're not really missing that much. No, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the best guy, the most interesting guy, I thought was the guy we had on the, on the site um, about a week ago, Sean Gilby. I thought it was an interesting prospect. He's about six two, two hundred pounds. Been playing third, a little bit of left field. Uh, he's a good athlete. The interesting thing about him is he's a quintessential uh, guy that Danny would love. He does well on WRC. He has a good OPS. And the thing they're working on him is. Unlike a lot of guys at that level that you see that kind of swing at 
just about everything because they can they can actually hit most things like that in high school and they got to learn when they get to the pros. They're working on expanding Gilby's strike zone out a little more. Um, he still strikes out a little too much, but when he when he makes contact, the ball goes pretty far. He's a good athlete, and I think he's somebody to watch. Uh, Dan Dallas is a good relief pitcher who went back after struggling at Fort Wayne. He's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Matt Acosta is having he's a 12th round pick this year out of USC. He could be someone to look at. Uh, Johnny Hosma maybe, but um, a lot of these guys were kind of in their second year from the ACL and got moved up. And I think Tri City is mad because they missed seeing C.J. Abrams. Uh, but he went to Fort Wayne, but he he just got hurt too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I thought that was really interesting because I read the piece on Mad Friars uh, about Sean Gilby, and, and I thought that was really funny what what you mentioned about how you know we want to expand the strike zone because you look at the you look at the Padres and where they're at as a team, and I know that's a much lower level, but it's just like they swing at everything, and then you have this guy that doesn't swing enough. I thought that was pretty funny. Well, the thing is that the Northwest League, I mean, you'll see some of the umpires there. I mean, they're um, they're really learning, too. I think the best line I heard last year was I was really close down, uh, you know, by the plate with the scouts. And Chandler uh, Siegel, who was one of the catchers, he had some strike, which, I mean, was god-awful. I don't know how that was a strike. I and mean, he just kind of leaned back. He's a catcher, and he goes, hey, he goes, I get that one, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you're saying there's great framers down in that league? Yeah, clearly, clearly. What's his uh, frame runs above average? <laughs> you'd have to do, you'd have to stretch that thing pretty high, like from your shoulder down to to, to the strike zone. So I don't yeah, know I mean, we all know it's it's never a bad umpire. It's all about uh, good framing. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to touch on: he's kind of uh, he's kind of made a name for himself the last couple starts. Ronald Bolaños has been mm-hmm. consistently hitting high nineties. I mean, we've Eric and I have seen him. Uh, trying to find other pitchers in Elsinore and got to watch his starts instead because they don't announce the starters early. But uh, I feel like he usually sat 92, 93, maybe touched 95, but he's been throwing really, really hard of late. Have you heard anything internally on Bolaños, what they're doing with him, what they've made a mechanical change or just a pitch change with him, a grip change that has caused him to tap into this kind of velocity? Because he looked like he can be a multi-inning arm going forward when before this year he wasn't really anything but an afterthought. I haven't yet. I mean, of course, we could talk to David Jay, who knows everything about everything, and we'll <laughs> let you know that. But uh, my guess is with a lot of these guys, I mean, Joey Cantillo was like that too, is for a lot of them, it's not, especially the taller guys, it's not about really getting bigger and stronger. They're already plenty. They have good size. It's mainly about you know working on their mechanics more. I mean, I know Cantillo was saying that you know, he's 6'5", about 220, and he said he was, by getting his backside in the more and getting lower instead of being as tall in the mound, he was able to add two or three more miles on his fastball, and he thinks there's a lot more in there. So I'm guessing that Bolaños, he always seemed, when I saw him pitch, he's kind of a big kid like you guys saw. He always was kind of straight up. Maybe they've got him in more of a power position, and a lot of pitching on in terms of velocity is just about your mechanics because – you know, we can look at different sized guys who throw hard and some go, why doesn't that guy throw harder, you know? Yeah, and it's really cool. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about 
Peoria and going to spring training is is watching on the back lots and watching the practice because like you know for those of us that played like little league high school or whatever you have a kind of an idea of what practice is and what it should be like but it's cool to see at that level kind of what they hone in on so we saw Bolaños last year I'm um, there is, they have like a whole bunch of mounds on their bullpen over there. And we went to watch Gore and Morahone was over there as well. But Bolaños was one of the last guys. And what they had him working on, uh, was it, is it pronounced Junge? Jung? Jung, Eric Jung. Eric Jung. He's, right. He was working with him. And I think there was another guy. So they were working on his release time. So from like when he starts his motion to when he gets rid of the ball, because they were worried about people running on him. And so they had a stopwatch on him. And every time that he was above whatever the threshold was, uh, the guy told him, I don't know if it was Jung or who it was, but he's like, anytime you're over this fucking number, you're going to run to that foul pole and back. <laughs> so, so he's up there and you see him, he comes set and he's like really nervous about it. So he comes set and he throws it. And the guy just looks at the stopwatch. He looks up at Bolaños. He starts shaking his head. Nope. And you see Bolaños <laughs> drop his glove and take off and then come back. It was funny shit. Although they're brutal. Like, you know, years ago, the Padres had this guy at Fort Wayne called Jeffrey Carvajal. And he was improving on, you know, not striking out as much. So this guy is Simone Castro. Remember him? He was oh, trans. Yes, yes or, I remember him. And, uh, and it's really rapid fire, Dominican Spanish. And the guy is saying, I said, well, how did you not strike out as much, you know, this year? What, what if you didn't improve? And he's talking really fast. And then suddenly Carvajal looks at me and goes, you fucking idiot. And then talks again. All the Dominican guys start laughing. And he said, well, every time I'm about to swing at some pitch in the dirt, the hitting coach, Tom Tornacosta, yells out to me, you fucking idiot. And he said, no. See, oh, and he goes. Then he taps his head. He goes, "That's the big difference." And so I can imagine they have a little bit of a tough luck, as I can imagine those guys. But you know what you guys talk about when you watch Gore pitch, the mechanics on Gore are just incredible. I mean, everybody focuses on the leg kick, which is interesting, but you see how much power he gets in the back before he releases. I mean, you see why he's he can throw as hard as he does, and I think that's one thing. It's kind of un. Not mentioned as much. People focus too much on Paddock, I think, having a third pitch or even Lamette. Those guys can pretty much maintain velocity for a long period of time. And I think that's what I kind of look for in a starting pitcher more than, you know, if he can toss off, what, five curveballs out of 90, 97 pitches or whatever like that. Right. Yeah, totally. And it seems like the later that the season is going on, and Danny and I talked about this earlier, the longer the season's going on, it looks like it's getting harder and harder for Paddock to maintain that velocity. But I can mm-hmm. definitely see that for sure. And kind of when you look at the numbers, you look at Paddock and then you look at Cal Quantrill. Surprisingly, you can make an argument that Quantrill has been better than him in a shorter period. But I'm looking yeah. at it and I, I remember based off of our conversations previously, both on the podcast and you know um, on our little group chat about Quantrill. Like you saw him in double A and right. it was San Antonio at the time. And Ben Davies saw him in El Paso and he wasn't anywhere close to what he is now. So I'm kind of wondering what the difference is between minor league Cal Quantrill and major league Cal Quantrill with the Padres. Well, not only that, I mean, David J saw, saw him in San Antonio. And we don't care about David J. Well, naturally, but I just <laughs> threw it out for the hell. Yeah. 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 But Marcus saw him there and mm-hmm. all of us saw, saw the same thing. And also Mike Sager was saying that he was easily the number four pitcher on San Antonio last year. And the big thing I saw with Quantrill last year as compared to this was one, his velocity wasn't <clears throat> anywhere near close to as consistent as it was now 
he was really bothered by uh, his slider wasn't working or his curveball. His changeup was good. And if you remember the guy that both Danny and I are big fans of, uh, Keith Law, read, go back and read what he said. He said he didn't think Quantrill was gonna shouldn't even be starting in the minor leagues. They should move him to to the bullpen. Now I didn't go that far, but I, I was not as on his. Uh, I didn't think he'd do as well as he could. But that was what kind of makes the minor leagues interesting is people can get better. I mean, what he did is he really focused on throwing his fastball more. Maybe cleaned up some mechanics. He added a couple miles per hour on it. I think he pretty much primarily throws a slider now. His changeup has always been good, and he got refocused. I mean, it's kind of a couple years ago I told you guys that the people I talked to in, <clears throat> in San Antonio didn't think that Arias could play shortstop occasionally. You know, but he really improved over two years. He worked at a lot, got better, and. His manager in El Paso, Edwin Rodriguez, said he thought he was the best defensive shortstop in the PCL. And as a note to our, our friends at the, at the Dave and Jeff podcast, because Urias is playing shortstop doesn't mean the Padres don't think he can play second base. Okay, guys? <laughs> get a pen, I get they a, gave get, up on him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dobson, get a pencil out. I'm talking, okay? <laughs> no, <laughs> no you, those guys know I love them, but I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. St sticking with Quantrill, like, I'm really curious because, you know, Padres Twitter is, of course, um, a smorgasbord no, of different experiences. And the more analytic heavy posters and contributors have said, like, quality wise, Quantrill's changeup is not his best pitch. It actually turns out the slider is his best pitch. And I had mentioned to Eric, I don't know if he throws. An actual two-seamer, I haven't bothered to look up pitch effects or anything. I just know he throws really hard. I mean, you're looking 94 to 96 on a ball that has run. So I don't know if it's a two-seamer or have you heard anything in the organization that where he made some kind of change, whether it's to his posture, to his grip, um, you know, how much spin he's trying to create on his pitches that A, have created the velocity, and B, have made his slider his go-to out pitch while also getting run on a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, this, this hurts nearly as much as saying David J was right, and because Danny was right on Quantrill. I think Eric <laughs> and I were both crapping all over it now. Yep. You know, yep. I know he threw more of a four-seamer, and maybe they kind of got him away from that. I think he was trying to throw too many pitches, and I think when they went back to him, which was his biggest problem last year, was fastball command. That's where he got was getting hit, and so he did something where he you know, moved around. We got, we'll have to send Kevin Charity out there to talk to him and talk to the young man about his his devotion to the Brown and uh, why he improved so much. <laughs> he is a major league pitcher, John, and he absolutely wants to compete yeah. and wants to be a ball player. I don't think you can teach that, but somehow the Potters are finding that, that mentality to transition into their prospects, that all of them want to be baseball players, not just some of them. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting what people should look at, like even the trades that came down at the trade deadline, I always think the best way to look at Preller's trades are what happens if the other guy they got doesn't work out. And I think that's the way he looks at it is like they had to move one of the outfielders because I think they wanted to see what Josh Naylor could do and they had one too many right-handed hitters. I don't think any of us are as big on the world it will be so much better if the Padres get rid of Will Myers. I think they probably would have kept Fremil over Myers, but I'm not entirely sure about that. I think Myers in the long run still might be better, but I think they needed to get Naylor some playing time. So I thought that was a big reason to move him. And the whole thing with 
you know, moving Brad Wick, that, that had to do just with getting the internet extra $500,000 in the international signing thing. I mean, they got a decent two, arm out of it, potential. Yeah, if Edwards works out, that's great. If not, it's still a good trade, you know? <laughs> Yeah, totally. You know, there's there's some names possibly they're coming up. We're we're kind of transitioning into the hey, this year isn't the year. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I know that they just kind won. of transitioning. I know they just won the first game in Cincinnati, and that just went final, and they've won three straight. Whoop de doo! Like we all know, this isn't it. So now we start to look forward to the names that we're going to see coming up. Is there anyone in particular that you're looking at that's like, eh, uh, yeah, I guess they're going to come up, and we'll see what happens. Not so much in not, not so much in September. I think and they're gonna just keep on trying to play a lot of those guys and see what they have, mainly with Arias and uh, and see what they do or don't have with Ty France and if they can possibly increase his trade value. You know, next year I think the big guy coming up and, and you can call me Nostradamus on this is Mackenzie Gore. I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say that. I mean, I think Gore could be every bit as good as as someone like Tatis. Good and you know, and what we thought. I mean, I was happy to see them at 500 at the All-Star break, but I thought they were playing a little bit above where they were supposed to be. This was always supposed to be the year where, you know, we saw with guys who were in the minor leagues, they need a develop, at least a developmental time in the big leagues, and that's pretty much what this year has been. I think one of the reasons why Kinsler upset so many people besides he was, you know, not that good and he flipped off the fans on it, Kinsler was like our <laughs> – Kendra was the, the last remnant of the, the Clayton Richards there. I mean, a guy we knew is not going to be there when they're good, who was blocking a guy that a lot of Padre fans had followed, Urias. It, no one really understood why he was down. And that was kind of the last part of that. So I think 2020 is the year I think they're going to compete, you know, for a wild card. And I think everybody thought that. I don't know who is thinking like, 2019, okay, now they're going to go to the playoffs. 2020, World Series, no, they don't get it. Time to fire Green. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe there's a reason to fire Green, maybe not. I think as we were talking off the air, I just want to know what Green was supposed to do that Preller asked him to do that he didn't. I mean, that's I don't think only... it's anything, to be honest with yeah, you, but I, a... I think it's more of like who's a better fit. But um, you do make a good point. I think you know the 500 and Paddock coming up and Tatis breaking camp, both guys like, hey, they're on the roster, was more uh, when now moves. Obviously, Machado, he's, the first five years are probably the most important of his contract. But um, at the same time, this kind of year did allow us to see like Cal Quantrill basically leapfrog Logan Allen, who was ahead of him, on top right. of probably Lucchese and Lauer. Like, Control came in, and he's probably the fourth or fifth guy on the depth chart, and he leapfrogged Allen, who's now traded, and just got sent down, and that mm-hmm. got us uh, um, Tramel. So stuff like yeah. that going on. Um, speaking of Tramel, anything on him real quick before we uh, transition to uh, David, Day, David J. Excuse me, fighting as to why Arby's chicken sandwich is not being talked about on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, God, man. When he doesn't get his horsey sauce, he gets to be a real prick. Um, <laughs> um, I don't have a whole lot on Jamel right now. I've seen some things on him on video. You know, I think he's some of the the biggest thing why I think they got Jamel was Buddy Reed and Michael Geddes, who, you know, we've always talked about and like they just haven't, haven't put up the numbers. And so Jamel is a good option who could possibly be a center field uh, a prospect. That's probably one of the weaker. That was one of the weaker parts of uh, the organization going into the trade deadline. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we all have high hopes on that trade for sure. And uh, Tramiel, he has question marks, but I think that he'll be exciting um, for sure. I mean, he's going to be intriguing to watch at the very least. But uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go, and we appreciate your time. Yeah, fine. I, I, I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts on the catching situation. You know how I feel. You know how yes. Danny feels about the catching situation. And we read the thing that Dennis Lynn says about Mejia and how his piece that he had in The Athletic was really complimentary of Francisco Mejia. And what I think stands out big time and it really kind of gets overlooked is how he made it a point in that article to point out that Mejia is really putting an emphasis on control or um, gaining his command of the English language because that's going to be big when it comes to communicating with pitchers, developing a game plan. I thought that that was huge. And I, I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the catching situation. Are you more of a defensive guy? The bat doesn't matter. The saving runs matters. Or do you want the guy that's like a uh, league average, league average glove probably, but he, he brings the stick. Where do you stand? Well, I'll say this. I, I've seen Austin Hedges at all four levels when he came up. I saw him when he could actually, when he hit pretty well in Fort Wayne and El Paso. I saw him when he didn't in San Antonio. And all of the catchers that I have talked to this year, Austin Allen, Blake Hunt, uh, Torrens, Hosma, all those guys, I think there's a little bit more to his value than just framing. He, they all talk about Austin Allen's the guy the coaches always talk about, helps them prepare a game, run a game, all these different intangibles. And he's supposedly the best one and held up as a model. And I agree with all that. But, you know, if you hit 195, you got to put this information in a hierarchy. I don't think anyone, especially in the National League, can be an everyday player and hit 204 over 1,000 plate appearances. So I thought Hedges has had more than the fair shot, and I would go with Mejia right now. 100% and the thing agree. That's why you're our go-to. The way I look at it, John, is let's say both guys are three-win players. I'd rather take the guy who can do a lot more on offense and a little on defense than the guy who does zero on offense and gives me all defense. I like the more versatile contributor. Sounds yeah. like you agree with the 5.5 podcast. Oh, God, man. I'm going to get shit from Jay on that. But yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but even, even David agrees with that, too. And I think that's going to be one of the bigger questions, like for Padres fans coming up, is – you know, and, and we've talked about this with Arias. I mean, Arias kind of has to perform. He, he's not going to be given the luxury of guys like Margot and, you know, and Hedges where they get about a year, year and a half just to kind of find their way. He, that's going to be something more fans are going to be talking about, about what is the lead time for this. Because, you know, you got you got Cheese Boy, who's Danny's favorite, Owen Miller, and Miller. You got Xavier Edwards, and you're going to probably have C.J. Abrams could come along really quick. And, you know, even at the catching position, you know, Campusano, you can make a good argument. He's probably, he might be one of the best best catchers in the minor leagues right now. I want now. to say I was big on Campy the minute he was drafted. I latched on to him for whatever reason. Big Campusano yeah. fan. Uh, John, yeah. we know that uh, your prepaid Wi-Fi minutes are running out, so anything uh, coming up on the horizon for Mad Friars uh, before we uh, let you back out of the country? <laughs> I'm gonna eat a lot of Mexican food and work really hard on my diet. Uh, see, now we have we have the end of the year stuff coming up. We'll run down each of uh, the affiliates. When well, Kevin Charity will have interviews with all five of the announcers, which are always good stuff because they don't work for the Padres; they work for their own team. They can be pretty honest, and we'll go into our 
top 30s, and then we will take a long break. Nice. Well, we look forward to all. I was going to say we look forward to that, not the break, but we look forward to uh, everything you guys got coming up. So you guys are only doing top 30, not a top 369? Yeah, well, you know, Jay and I kept arguing who was like 348, and I said bullshit. He said 349, and it got ugly. You know, he threw a he threw a horsey sauce thing at me, so I got pissed off. So it's just better we keep it run the top thirty. Get the old beef and cheddar pie face. That's awesome, John. You're the man. We appreciate, it, man. Uh, good luck down there in Mexico. Come home in one piece. Vaya right. con Dios, John. Muchas gracias, amigos. Later. Oh, it's nice to have the Overlord on as always. Always a pleasant, a pleasant conversation. John is the absolute greatest, dude. Always really gracious with his time, and he. Uh, He's a wealth of knowledge, yes, so we always is. appreciate when he comes on. So uh, we have a, a couple more minutes here before we go, and I don't want it to go too long, so we'll kind of we'll kind of keep it said. there. But a couple uh, personal things that I wanted to bring up. I went to the game on Sunday. AJ and I went to the game. It was a day game. I don't generally like day games because it's it's too hot. Yeah, and it's my really hot. dude, everyone that knows me knows I'm really fat. <laughs> <laughs> And, Stunned. And when it gets hot, dude, I sweat like a motherfucker. Like, I'm sweating like crazy. Like, even right now. So that's why I stay away from day games. Paige is like, hey, let's go to the game. I looked. I saw Lamette was pitching. I'm like, hell yeah. Let's go to the game. So it was really cool. We got to see uh, my favorite usher at Petco Park, our friend Dan, at SoCal Sports. I think, that, I think that's who he is. We saw Dan. Uh, I'll let Dan, you hang yourself on that one. At DJ something. Anyways, uh, Dan's great. We saw Dan, and then we saw uh, Bobby. We went up to hang out with Bobby. And we were hanging out. We are talking, and uh, the Rockies are up to bat, and Trevor Story is up. And all of a sudden, we're sitting here, and we're watching the game, and Trevor Story fouls one off. And I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. Oh, shit. It's coming right towards us. So I take a couple steps to my left, like two steps, and I'm like, holy shit, there's no one around me. And I hear AJ, catch that, Eric, catch that. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck else am I going to do? So the ball's hit to me, and I catch it. Bare hand, of course, because I will never fly? bring a glove. Yeah, on the fly. Anyway. Because I will never bring a glove. I will not be glove guy. I absolutely refuse. Yeah, not until the little guy comes along. We'll so, see about no, that. No, 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 no. Uh, we'll see about so that. So we're sitting there, and I, I caught the ball. And the first thing that I hear, the absolute first thing that I hear is, first of all, the crowd cheering, because, of course, I caught it on the fly. But then I hear this Rockies fan. This guy, he had to be mid-50s, maybe early 60s. He was sitting there, and he goes, Hey, hey, I'm a Colorado Rocky fan. Can I have the ball? <laughs> and I told him, I, I looked at him, I said, Absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, Get fucked. And I start walking back over to Bobby and AJ, and some dude up who was standing above us, he's like, Hey, can you play second base? <laughs> some shit like that. So that was cool. And then I was sitting there, I was looking at the ball, I was like, Man, this is really cool. And I've always been the guy, because that was my first ever foul ball. I've always been the guy. I'm like, I'm keeping that shit, no matter what. I used to go out of my way to talk shit about people that would give the balls to random kids. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, this is really cool. I finally caught my first foul ball. This is awesome. And then I was just kind of sitting there, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it away. (laughs) And there was this girl, right after I caught it, she came over to me, and she looked kind of shy. I was like... God, she's going to ask for the fucking ball. That was my first thought. And she's like, oh, nice catch. And she gives me a high five. Oh, that's sweet. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And she turned around and walked back to her parents. And I was like, oh, she didn't ask for the ball. Like, what the? Wow, this is mine. 
And then when I started to realize that I have nothing to gain from keeping this ball, it's probably going to go in our ball bucket. <laughs> ball bucket. I'm saying you're done in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, whatever. So I'm like, you know what? Uh, Bobby was up there. Jonah was up there. I met Jonah uh, from Pottery's Turn and AJ. Who <laughs> filmed this moment? Or who um, filmed you with the ball? Somebody put it on Bobby. Okay. Bobby did. So I was walking past them, and I pointed each one of them. I said, not a fucking word. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I walked over, and I said, I handed out the ball. I said, hey, do you want this? And her mom's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was just saying that we never get stuff like that. And her mom was, like, you know, really happy about it. And the girl was really happy. She started beaming. And I was like, okay. The mom was like, hey, can you take a picture with our daughter? Oh, God. (laughs) I'm like, like, she likes me more than my mother-in-law does. World-renowned Twitter curmudgeon. Yeah, so we're sitting there. I took a picture with her daughter, and that'll never be found, hopefully. Hopefully, it'll never (laughs) surface. I hope it surfaces. So we go back. I say later to Bobby. I'm like, whatever. Uh, Hey, see you guys. We're out of here. So I go back down to our seats, and we're hanging out. And Bobby sends me this message. It's a video. And he's like, I badly want to post this. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what is it? I watch it, and she's like, thanks for the ball, Eric. I was like, God damn it, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone was commenting, hey, did you give it to a kid? Did you give it to a kid? And Bobby responds, he's like, total villain. And he posts the video of it. And I was like, God. You've been ruined. Yeah, I'm a fraud, dude. I'm a big fraud. Big, fat fraud. Yeah, yeah. So one one other piece of news. We had talked about this a couple weeks ago. And maybe this is what's starting the transition and me getting like way too soft. I found out the thought was, please, please, please have a penis on that screen when we went in for the anatomy scan, my wife and I. And God damn it, there was a penis. <laughs> I'm having a boy. My wife and I are having a baby boy. Thank Jesus. I wanted a boy so bad. So uh, we're going to have one. Yes, we did the whole gender reveal cake bit, which I got of course, shit on. Of course it was a cake for Eric. I got shit on. So a big fuck you to H.J. Preller. A big fuck you to R.J.'s fro. <laughs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, you did the cake? That's lame. There was like six of us there. It was our immediate family. Yeah. Our grandmas wanted it. So you guys can it? eat shit. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah, it started from me being like, oh, hey, I gave the ball to girl to telling people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> So anyways, um, hey, we appreciate you guys tuning in. It's been a long couple weeks without you. Uh, we'll probably see you again in a couple weeks. We'll see. Maybe there's some breaking news and we'll come back. But I highly then, doubt that. Yeah, highly <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, until then, I hope Leisure Fryer enjoyed his uh, four-miler today. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. We're out of here.